Hello and welcome to the Strange Brew Podcast. My name's Jason Barnard. That was Strange Roads, this particular version by Sidewalk Society because the uh, original version of that was by one of the 60s most cult bands, The Action. And um, The Action, if you, if you don't know, recorded one of the uh, finest unreleased albums of, of the era, really, now known as the uh, Rolled Gold Sessions. And um, LA band Sidewalk Society re-recorded them in their entirety to great effect. Um, so we, um, we'll be hearing from uh, Sidewalk Society today, Dan West, Dan Lawrence and Jerry Buzak. And uh, we'll be hearing from a couple of members of, of the action who uh, were obviously on, on the original material, uh, Roger Powell drums and not forgetting Ian Whiteman, who was on um, piano, flute and vocals. I'd just like to give a shout out as well to Alan Bam King, who was guitarist and vocals on those sessions, who, who just couldn't um, make it make it with us for the show today. Um, but we've got his uh, support. Hello, guys. Hello, Hello Jason. Jason. Hello, Jason Barnard. Hello, Ian in Spain. <laughs> Hi there. Rather, hola. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, guys. <laughs> Uh, firstly, over to uh, Sidewalk Society. Um, what led you to uh, recording this uh, marvelous, marvelous album? Well, I, this is Dan Lawrence. Really, it started basically just because we love that release. The reaction release is what we're most familiar with. I think I had a some form of a bootleg copy before that that was pretty rough, but the the reaction release. The, it started kind of just as a whim. We were working on the, the David Bowie tribute tracks that we did with Fruits to Mirror. It, we were listening to it a lot, and it was in the front of our minds. And I think it just came up kind of like, well, why don't we just do it? I mean, and the, the tracks were in such a, a primitive form. And that's what, a, you know, a lot of we have a ton of questions about that. So it had a lot of room for interpretation, which is what we love to do. And we're really passionate about this era of music, obviously. Thanks, Dan. Um, Ian, how did you get involved with the action and the uh, rolled gold material almost uh, 50 years ago now? You know, I, I was hired by the action, you know, quite a long, after time, a long time after they had been running. And it was really they were kind of like starting to... You know, George Martin had big hopes for them, but, you know, they they were really, uh, they weren't the Beatles. And they had a kind of wild side, which George just didn't understand, actually. I mean, we were really interested because a lot of the history is kind of murky surrounding it. There are a lot of different stories. And so for some to hear from you, you were there, you recorded it. It's fascinating. So please. Well, of course, the, the band, the, it was a recording of the, the what was happening with them at the time, which was when I joined the museum, it was like, I was, although I, had, I was really a kind of jazz musician, I, I wanted to be. I was I was a student actually, but I was wanted to be a jazz musician. But I was in the I was in the wrong country, I think, the wrong time. But <laughs> the, the, the Motown music kind of was a great leveler. You know, I was a kind of like a broke student. They were kind of broke working class musicians, and uh, we kind of just everyone. This was just before Flower Power started in London, and everybody just sort of leveled, and it was. I, I had such a a good rapport with them. I'll tell you how it happened. It's quite interesting. I was, I had this terrible job in the Admiralty in, in central London. And I thought if I work another day in this place, I'm going to go mad. So I, I answered an ad in the melody maker, which said the working band wants keyboard players. So I thought, oh, get out of this. I phoned them up and it was Roger 
who's the drummer of the action uh, on the phone. He said, oh, yeah, well, can we meet tonight? I said, where do you live? I live in Grafton Road in Kentish Town. They said, that's where we live. <laughs> but two of them, I think, well, no, Bam, I think, lived in the same road. So that night they came round, and I, uh, I had a Hammond organ in my sort of room that I was living in. I didn't even rehearse with them. I just sort of liked them so much. Very affable, friendly people. I promise you, real Kentish town. Uh, it's so different from all these architects I was studying with who were like you know, hard-drinking, straight-laced, short-haired. I can't, <laughs> it was such a relief for me. And I suddenly <laughs> went from that to, to playing in this working band, you know, and it was like, it was amazing for me. It was pretty difficult. You know, I was, like, I was falling asleep in lectures in the morning and then going out gigging around, around England in the afternoon, in the evenings. But they were kind of quite well-known at that point, you know, and it was, they were gigging and doing things on the radio and no TV then, but it was, uh, and of course they were recording with George Martin in uh, uh, Advision Studios, which was, and they did this album, they did this record called Shadows and Reflections, which was an action, uh, association song written by one of the associations. Shadows and Reflections, da, 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 da. I felt we were being pushed into this kind of pop mould. George had other um, sort of pop groups, was it David and Jonathan or something? And it was very much the, he understood from EMI and Parlophone that you, you kind of had to manufacture a band. And we just couldn't do that. That wasn't what we were doing. There's an old vacant apartment Above the shop on the square Something keeps bringing me back to Those final moments we shared To that cluster reflections Cast their glow on the door Empty shadows of night on the Them. There's a fact I can't hide I go back to where I left her Oh, but there's nothing inside Just these neon reflections Cast their frightening glow Drifting patterns and shadows below Shadows and reflections of an unwelcome kind 
Hi, Roger. Welcome to the show. Uh, we just heard Ian talking about the sort of lack of chart success that the action fared before Royal Gold. What's your take on it all? Yeah, I mean, I think with the George, I mean, with George Martin, we didn't sort of like get a hit, and we didn't want to. I mean, like, we weren't really sort of happy with sort of trying to get a hit as such. And I think George Martin sort of gave up on us at a certain point. I think he had other things that, that was going on that were probably more important for him, really. You know, we were never really like in, an important band for him in that way. He liked us and he thought we should have, but I don't think the record choices were the right ones for us, to be honest. But there again, you know, we never had the financial backing to, um, you needed financial backing to get here. To be honest, we never had the right record to get here, and that's, that's the long and short of it, really. I mean, there was some good stuff, but it didn't get, we didn't get played. But we didn't write our own songs cause, in the action because we were doing all these other amazing songs. Um, Since I Lost My Baby, I mean, that's awesome by Reg. He's singing on that. is pretty amazing. I think that's one of the best things we did, that one. Harlem Shuffle, all of those. And like some really obscure stacks, Motown. Shining, plenty of light New day is dawning, sunny and bright But after I've been crying all night The sun is cold and the new day seems old Since I lost my baby Since I lost my baby Oh, since I lost my baby Singing and the children are playing Plenty of work and the bosses are paying Not a sad word should a young heart be saying Fun is a bore and with money I'm poor mm, Since I lost my baby Since I lost my baby Oh, since I lost my baby You please help me find her Oh, someone just remind her Of this love she left behind her Until I find her I'll be crying Oh, every day I'm going kind of Find her, please find her To find her I'm trying to find my baby I've been looking everywhere Come on, babe, I know you really care Determination is fading out fast Desperation is a thing of the past can see how my hopes are gonna last Good times are bad and what's happy is sad Since I lost my baby Since I lost my baby Oh, since I lost my baby Since I 
at that point you see had been taking various drugs and they were their kind of minds were really open you know they were they wanted to play lots of different music and because i was a keyboard player and i've got a jazz background we kind of it's a natural marriage and we really enjoyed it we just enjoyed playing but it was getting pretty wild because on that session we did on saturday club we did this thing called india which is completely instrumental completely with um uh with Re- reggie going the train track. what did you say India? It was called, it was called India. Yeah, we played it. We just called oh. India because it was a Coltrane thing. We, we used to play around the jazz things you see all the time. But I, I think on it you can hear Reggie going, "I love Supreme." <laughs> and can you imagine oh. playing that kind of stuff to the actual wow. audiences? They didn't. They just did not understand it. <laughs>
when the original roll gold thing was done, I I was kind of a newcomer to the action. I'd only been with them a few months, I think. And on this on those sessions, you can barely hear me actually. I was sort of thundering on a piano, but you know, acoustic piano doesn't do much against amplified guitars. I remember it very very vivid, vividly because it was in this really little smelly recording studio in Denmark Street, middle of London, and. Mm. You know, it had that kind of pegboard round, white pegboard everywhere that the institute did. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, contro- the control room was on the next floor with a kind of periscope that we loved. It was so, it was so incredibly primitive. Uh, it was, in fact, I just used it as a demo studio mostly, I think, but people, it had a kind of history. A lot of places around the, people said, oh, the Rolling Stones used to record it. We used to, we used to rehearse in a, a funny basement, which the Stones had used to use as well. It's like everyone used these places. They, they smell like public urinals, actually, but. A lot of it was really Reggie's Reggie's music, I think, and the others I think wrote stuff. But, you know, you, Reggie's the one who's singing most of the stuff, and uh, uh, it's it's what it's really a lot of it's about him. A lot of the stuff I didn't kind of really relate to, but there were a few absolute gems in there, like Love Is All. Love Is All is a kind of classic, which will outlive everything else. Roll Gold, by by the way, refers to um, rolling tobacco. <laughs> I thought you might like to know that. This is Dan West. I play bass and sing in the group. And um, it's interesting to hear you talk about the jazz crossover, because and it's in particular the song Love Is All, because that was something that really kind of picked our ears up to the to to the Rolled Gold sessions was this really, it sounds like a real influx of new um, yeah, ideas. I think, I think, you know, I think the, bird, the birds had a big influence. We were doing things like, um, no, the association particularly, they did a thing called Pandora's Golden Heebie-Jeebies. <laughs> uh, it was a record which was banned in LA, apparently, at the time. <laughs> but we used to be yes. to get that. So all that stuff was affecting what they did. And, and Love Is All, the, associ- the stuff that the association did was the natural, um, natural influence on what we did, you know. Sunshine 
go with that word that scares so many people, jazz. I, I don't, it's really doesn't matter the, just the harmonic clusters of the horns, again, Dan's arrangement against the guitars and the guitar solos and the, and the breaks. I don't, I, it was kind of just a mat, like, again, with these words, but it was really pretty magical hearing that all come together. It's, it's just a really exciting, musically exciting, and it moves. For me personally on this record, I was very determined to um, not produce myself out of the tracks, which I kind of do sometimes, especially when we do covers and I get in, put on my production hat because we all co-produce this stuff together. But I would sometimes I'll um, bury myself with uh, orchestration or other things that sound more fun to me because I'm used to hearing guitars. And um, this time I was determined to allow myself to play guitar on the record and be, you know, and it, it for it to be very much about the three of us and the other stuff being additive rather than demonstrative, I guess would be a way to say it. And, and I do think that that's definitely representative of, of us as a group, as much as it is an action song, as with a lot of this record. I do feel like we came through without over, not overshadowing, but like kind of stomping on the original at all. I think this record re represents us just as well as it does the action, hopefully, or that's my hope. Doesn't matter anymore. Let 
writing our own stuff, which we never did as the action, where a lot of the bands like The Who and a lot of other bands were all writing their own songs. We were just doing sort of covers, purely covers. And then uh, we started doing sort of, when Ian joined us, we started doing our old other things like Dustbin Full of Rubbish and Icarus and, you know, those ones. Yeah, there was some interesting stuff on that, actually. It was quite sort of different. It was, a, it was nearly sort of, some of that stuff was nearly sort of punkish in a way. It was very sharp and sort of tight, which um, which was quite unusual for us, actually. But yeah, that was a good album. Brain, it's interesting, because when you start getting into it, I think people have an attachment to that, because it's one of the tracks that was out there, and people are pretty fond of it, so you know, that that's a double-edged sword for us. But I think that it does, as cool as it is, it's very repetitious as far as the actual, I don't believe there's even, oh, there's one little chord sequence change in there. Our approach was to just try and, and attach to that feeling of the lyric, just literally build on top of itself so it gets bigger and bigger with those sort of triumphant horns in their very, uh, um, you know, uh, late 60s, well, depending on how you define late 60s, but, you know, sort of that uh, Pepper Magical Mystery Tour era, a little bit of the Beatles in there, and just bring it out as this, again, this sort of statement and emotion. It's Reg's voice just communicates, like, it's just so... It gets you right in the gut, you know, and that kind of drives that. We tried to build on that and really bring something, something emotional out of the song.
think we got to the end with with Reg with the action as well. Like one gig, he was being chased around the room by the bouncers. Gig we did in um, that surfing place in yeah Newquay. We played there. And there was a palm tree, and Reg started climbing up the palm tree. Then the bouncers tried to get him, and then he ran off. This was in the middle of a song. Then he ran off the stage, and they were like, we were still playing, and the bouncers were chasing him around the uh, <laughs> around the audience. <laughs> it was quite funny. And then he got sort of Reg got sort of like more or less arrested on the M1 in some cafe, and we thought, ah, oh, no, that's it. So that was the end of the action. Really, it was sort of went a bit sort of funny at the end so it was all kind of breaking apart but and then it, because reggie didn't really you know he didn't sort of he wasn't really getting anywhere he kind of left to have his own you know make his do a solo solo act like with the rod stewart would have done it in fact i think rod stewart said to him once reggie you're going to be really big <laughs> i thought i mean maybe even done two albums with him he he, used to, he piled up with a guy called gary Farr, who was the son of a guy called tommy foe was a famous English boxer <laughs> and Gary Farr's brother Ricky Farr used to manage the action and he also actually promoted the both of the uh, the, the Isle of Wight festivals actually very successfully but uh, I think he ran off with a lot of the money or something but the, there wasn't there was a bit bad blood about there but Gary played he was a musician himself very much in the Richie Haven style and I was just you know I came along and played piano and organ I did a lot of I played on a lot of people's records at those times in fact well, the whole band was basically hired, you know, the the, 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 the the sort of mighty baby version, whatever it was at the time, with Martin Stone on guitar, Roger and Ace on bass. Yeah, we, we helped him with those, I remember those.
the accident sort of like we come off the road for a bit and then we came back and started doing like obscure stuff like the association along comes mary we started doing the ronettes and people used to come and say oh you're not the action and you know we where we used to get booked we didn't get booked anymore because we weren't doing the stuff we used to do and people used to say you're not the action although we had the name the action we weren't the action i mean even at the middle earth and the roundhouse Sometimes we were still bid as the action, but we weren't the action. We were something else. We had no manager, I think, at that point. And we'd, uh, this is pre... Was that pre-Mighty... First Mighty Baby album, anyway? We were signed up with these people called uh, uh, Black Hole Enterprises, which was Pete Jenner and another guy who... You had managed the Pink Floyd. They just lost the Pink Floyd. And they had uh, uh, Toronto's Rex and us and a few other bands. But um, we did some demos, and I... We, you know, we, because Reggie wrote everything, we were, as Bam's once said, you know, we, we didn't have a sing. We were like one voice between us. You know, we, Bam and myself sort of basically made do. And we were, and it was all, it was okay. But we weren't a kind of a, like Reggie was the front man. He was the soul singer in the action. And we couldn't do that. So anyway, we put the, I had some stuff I'd done. I'd actually, strangely, this is interesting. There would come some of those tracks I wrote and I actually played them to Mark Boland. Can you believe this? In Essex music, he wasn't interested. Of course, <laughs> I still feel a bit embarrassed. But but we had a bash it in a in, in a demo studio, and I thought they were going to be demos. I was a bit embarrassed they actually sort of ended up coming out because they were you know they were a bit unresolved. There's some you know some interesting ideas there. I mean the thing with uh, what's it called, my favourite day, which is a bit strange, but it was actually quite an interesting piece of music because it was um, I don't know if you know, remember it, but it had a in fact, it must have been a quiet studio because it had a Hammond organ on it. But it was this idea of having two different tunes, which you then then bring together in, in one. It was like Gilbert and Sullivan almost. It was it was quite interesting. I never let anyone else do it. It was a phase. This was really before it became Mighty Baby, actually. And then we signed up with someone called John Curd, and he invented the name Mighty Baby. I think it went from Action to Azoth. There was one period I actually wasn't playing with them. It got a bit hairy. But then I rejoined them.
Dan has Dan West has a question. Oh, I, I just no, I just write back to a saying for today because I we we just discovered those sessions and and again those were before the two actual official Mighty Baby releases. The first one that's, being that's on right. chess. That's yeah. right. Okay. Yeah. Just was yeah, on but, over, it was on chess over there, but it was on there. Uh, something else uh, here. I think it was on. Right. This very. It on, yeah. It was on Head Records. It was our manager before he got arrested. Uh, a saying for today is an amazing song. By the way, I, I, I'm kind of obsessed with that song recently. It's strange. I mean, they're strange. I mean, I find a little bit, you know, I cringe a bit when I hear those. But if I put the headphones on and I sort of like to go back in time, it was just a time when you know people were changing and it was kind of confusion. There was no genre then. People just did whatever they wanted. You know, it was beautiful in a way. Now everyone has to sort of fit into a genre. It was like music without yeah. borders and you see free concerts as the action, in fact. And the other people playing were doing funny kind of reggae acts and there was like, it was like African music. It was anybody, everyone was doing anything they wanted and it was really nice. It was great. And there was no, no one actually commercialized it. No one called it flower power or anything like that. But there were these big free concerts. And then, of course, uh, you know, it became much more commercialized and uh, it sort of lost that kind of spirit. Maybe just as well because it got pretty, the, the concerts got pretty hairy after a bit, actually. I remember some pretty terrible ones. I mean, it was actually very, very good to start with, but like all these things, it has its time and then it sort of finishes.
memories of rehearsing Egyptian tomb in a pub in Kentish town but we were just sort of doing whatever came every rehearsal you know it would be new things and people had tried out ideas and I think we didn't honestly when you're in that situation you don't know where you're going you do the next gig you you, you sort of come up with an idea people say oh you can do a record and I thought oh god we've got to write some we've got to write some tracks and you know, I was never very involved in things like the management or anything. Or even the name Mighty Baby was thought up by the manager, John Curd. He said, oh, "I'm going to call you Mighty Baby." And we said, "Oh, well, it's better than Azoth." <laughs> we didn't like it very much. We thought, oh, "Well, it's better than better than nothing." Now, that was pretty much how we were like. We weren't very ambitious in that way. We just didn't sort of like we didn't see ourselves as having a musical career. It was a kind of adventure. It was a kind of musical. And then you see when Martin Stone joined. Of course, he brought all these books of uh, Oriental. Uh, occult wisdom and things so that had a big effect on everybody and that changed the direction of that band totally <laughs> you wouldn't believe it suddenly the ludwig came off roger's drum and he had and a great um ohm symbol appeared you know and it was like whoa we're off on a different journey now <laughs> we we would head off for, for gigs with with the kind of library of books of uspensky and gurdjieff and the upanishads and the i ching and other bands would have sort of great six packs of beer and whatever you know but it was a it was a kind of a mobile occult university.
was a, it was a journey. It was a spiritual journey in a way for for everybody. And Mighty Bay were quite a deep thinking band, especially with Martin. I mean, he was very much into the occult. I mean, it was like a travelling library. Our our uh, fan gig fan. We had books everywhere. We used to go to a gig and just sort of sit and read. And so I think we interpreted a lot of the stuff in. You know, if you listen to lyrics, they all have like a, a place between fate and destiny. All those songs have a sort of quite a deep philosophical meaning because that's what we were sort of uh, finding out about ourselves in a way. It was a very, um, I think maybe sometimes too invert, in, you know, inward. I think we got a bit too carried away sometimes, but it was very expressed in the in the music, which um, was quite nice in a way. I think we got too involved with other things and sort of not not the music. You know, I think that's why a lot of us become Muslim and we got disenchanted with life and music and which in retrospect I think was a mistake. Did I? 
Guys, we're now moving on to our penultimate track of the show today. I wanted to go back to Roll Gold. Uh, your version of uh, Things You Cannot See kind of um, has some similarities to the uh, work on the Sidewalk Society album Venus, Saturn and the Crescent Moon. Well, I think this is Dan Lawrence. I think with that, with Things, we definitely heard that more of an orchestrated roadmap on the original. So when we started to, to flesh it out and felt like we could really take it into more of that orchestral direction, you know, like the end, like, like we did on our original album as well. It just, what it is, is it's a really great opportunity to use and abuse Dan West's ability to orchestrate and to write charts. I mean, he's really talented in that area. And personally, I like pushing him to do it whenever I can. And, you know, we brainstorm on concepts of how we would like it to go. And Dan writes these amazing charts. And then we get people like Jana Jacoby to come in and play on strings and, and other friends that we have. And it's just a, it's a joy to be able to, to bring this, to have the opportunity to, to have access to that stuff. And, and to hear these big grandiose almost ideas in your head and then to realize them and there's no reason for us not to do that sort of thing since we have access to someone as talented as him in that area something tells me i'm wrong and i can't get with the day feeling time Chains away things you cannot see, like your personality, just like a book for you to see. So read it. And read 
conversation today really sort of illustrates I think what we picked up on yeah you're really confirming the fact that it was the you guys in a room together and the spirit of what you're doing together is what comes through on those rough demos and that's what spoke to us it was like yeah. it's not trying to it's not Sergeant Pepper it's not this fully produced realized thing it's more about the spirit, the feeling, and the vibe of what's going on. And, and the search and the musically, you know, finding yeah. a new space yeah, together. Yeah. But and that was, really spoke to us, you know. Yeah. Was, the thing, you see, the thing that attracted me in the first place, which I started playing, you know, uh, with them, was, just, was a, they, had a, they had a great kind of spirit to them. And, and, and everyone who knew them, was, they would say the same, you know. They were very attracted by it. And that's what came out in their music. I think that they got more to the their real essence with Roll Gold after the attempts with George Martin, you know, turned them into a kind of pop act. Um, yes. so just they they were just not suited that you know, suited that, you know. But it was it was this real edgy modal Excellent. Uh thank you, Ian, for your time today. I'd also like to thank uh, Roger Powell, who you heard earlier. And of course, uh, you guys in uh, Sidewalk Society, Dan West, Dan Lawrence, and Jerry Buzak. Um, and I'd also want to close with uh, a song by the action from Roll Gold to close, and uh, that is The Wonderful Little Boy. 
thanks, Jace, for making it possible. Always. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, we can't thank Jason enough. Jason is always our biggest real champion. And, yeah, champion for us, and we we appreciate. Well, yeah. Thank yeah. you so much for 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 giving us the, your time because we just we love these sessions so much and there's a lot of love on it's great to hear on your end when you guys were making it and then you know the way we felt as we were doing it it's just been a joy such wonderful material and so again thank you so much well I'm I'm just you know it's, it's lovely to talk about it you know it's, it doesn't mean you know, I, I don't really take my past very seriously, but it's it's nice that some people do, you know, because it's, it's, a, it's a long time ago. And right, it's nice that it gets to someone anyway. I'm pleased. Well, it definitely got to us. It got to us. <laughs> you know, keep me posted, that's all I can say. Thank you.